Welcome to the all-new Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast, powered by ForeverBlueShirts.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the all-new Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast with your host, Anthony Scultori, and with me today, KHL reporter, Jillian Kemmerer. I can't thank you enough for being on this show. And if anyone heard uh, the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, she was not only a guest, but also a host. And I recommend everyone give that a listen. Uh, great insights on Kolov being hired uh, by the KHL as a head coach now. Uh, and you can give it a check out there. But we're going to talk some Russian Rangers uh, right now. So let me welcome her. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for the plug. Did you go to Studio 54 too back in the day? Because I brought that up with Ron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're <laughs> well, Ron's a bit older than me, uh, but I did. I will say that since we, I've been doing these podcasts now on Zoom, uh, yeah, and I'm actually, you know, I can be seen. Uh, I have a little gray in my beard, but I'm not old enough to have gone to Studio Studio 54. Limelight. I'm so maybe. bummed we missed it. I know it just it seems like such a moment in New York. I also am too young to have gone, and I'm just super bummed out about it. I have sequins. Like I think we could have done well there. <laughs> I, I have enough hair gel to have probably have done there. <laughs> done well there too. Uh, good times. Good times. So there's there are two Russian goaltenders now in New York. Okay, everyone is very well aware that Ilya Sorokin, if I said that right, hopefully you can correct me, um, he is now with the Islanders. And everyone knows the, the, the czar of New York, and I know that you had some challenge of who the czar of New York is, but there's no way it's not Igor Shosturkin in my <laughs> eyes. You just can't, you can't go from the king and not have the czar next. Uh, I know that's going to be something to discuss, but I think uh, what I'd like you to give some insight to to Ranger fans is what their friendship uh, and also what to expect from these two in the rivalry going forward, because we should be watching some great goaltending in the next 10 years between these two. Yeah, it's funny. I was at this outdoor game in St. Petersburg. It would have been two seasons ago. So the last season that the two of them were together. Uh, in the KHL, and they had something along the lines of a winter classic, but they did it at the uh, World Cup Stadium, the Gazprom Arena, that they had just used that summer for the, the Soccer World Cup tournament, and they used it for the Army Derby, which takes place between Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, and it's just an incredible rivalry. I, I mentioned this a little bit to Ron, but it's a city rivalry as much as it is a team rivalry, because Moscow-St. Pete has that New York, LA, which one do you like, which one do you vibe with kind of thing in Russia. And then the teams themselves both derive from the Soviet Red Army. So there's this double layer of competition. And I remember thinking to myself both then and then during the subsequent Gagarin Cup playoffs, how lucky I was to get to see these two rising stars up against one another when everyone knew the backstory that they were best friends and that they had met at a Team Russia camp in Novogorsk when they were 16 or 17. And, you know, despite the fact that they were always going head to head, either at opposite ends of the rivalry or duking it out for the Russian national team positions, they still maintained this friendship that pushed them both higher. And I believe I read a Russian journalist who said that they played chell against each other as the Islanders and the Rangers. So it's like this storybook perfect, you know, these two guys who were destined to be at opposite ends in Russia and now are destined to be in another wonderful hockey rivalry. 
Um, so I think the beauty of it is it's pushed both of them to new heights throughout their entire careers thus far. And being in such close proximity, it's going to do the same for them now. And I remember that I was reading a, an article recently. They were talking to Igor at the training camp and he said, he was waiting to hear what Ilya's decision would be. And he was so thrilled that Ilya made the choice to come to North America and that he can't wait to roll out the red carpet for his friend. And I thought that was really telling, you know, these guys are not intimidated by each other. They want to show off, you know, who's going to be the best. They're very different goaltenders stylistically, which is why I think it's even more exciting because you'll get a little bit, a little taste of two very different Russian goalies, but overall, I could not be more excited about seeing the two of them up against one another once again. I think it's going to be a real treat for New York hockey fans. Now, now, do you think that they'll put another Instagram video out together where they're singing in their jerseys, though, this time? I don't even know what they were singing. Can, can you enlighten fans who have seen the video because they're singing in Russian? What were they singing? Yes. I actually don't even know the song that they were singing. I have to listen to it again. They were singing in the piazza in front of the Duomo in Milan. Okay. I'll go back and watch it. But the two of them, I spoke with Sorokin at the um, All-Star Weekend in January. And I was like, can we expect another one? And he was like, only in the summer. <laughs> okay, cool. So what do you need? You, you guys are going to be the Russian goalie boy band. And he goes, well, we need a producer. And I was like, cool, settled. I'll be there. No problem. I've got you. So I think we can expect more music. I mean, one can only hope, and Sorokin speaks good English, really good English. Mm -hmm. So we got to hope for like some, I, I'm hoping for New York, New York. That's the one that I, that I want to see them do that together. So that maybe we'll get that or like NYC from Annie or New York State of Mind, but it's got to be something New York, right? New York Groove. That's, I, I, oh, I, that, I like it. This yeah. is my jam, so... Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, since Shesterkin is, is going to be in the playoffs in the NHL playoffs, qualifying round or not, to me, it's, it's a playoff experience because you get eliminated. Um, let's talk about Shesterkin and what Ranger fans should expect. And here's what I'm going to bring up. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I think everything is pointing that he's the number one guy. He was the number one guy going, you know, when the season was on pause, it was him. Uh, it looks like for all intents and purposes, David Quinn is going gonna, is gonna to give him the first shot, right? And there's always Henrik Lundqvist waiting in the wings. But I went back and everyone talks about his KHL numbers. They are gaudy. They are incredible. They are amazing. Every time you look at it, you go, wow, wow, wow. But I said, you know what? Let me investigate a little further. Let me just dive in. And I've had the perfect person to speak to about it. His playoffs, his playoff numbers they aren't as great as his regular season stats. As a matter of fact, he does have a, you know, KHL championship to his name, uh, but that was won primarily on the back of Miko Koskinen, right? Uh, his overall record in the KHL for the playoffs is eight and six. Nothing, nothing incredible. His, um, his numbers are okay. When they won the uh, championship, he was four and one. And he had an outstanding 940 save percentage. It was incredible. Uh, rock solid, obviously, G, you know, goals against average. Uh, but like I said, he was, he was the backup in that championship run. If I'm wrong about any of it, please correct me. But I went and did some KHL stat diving. <laughs> uh, but in his uh, other playoffs, he was four and five. So watching him up close, I know that he doesn't seem – he's got some swagger about him. So I don't think he'll be phased. But what should we expect from him? Well, I think his KHL playoff numbers 
it's a little difficult because we only got one big look at him in the playoffs, and that was that last season that he played and he was up against Sorokin in the conference finals, and Sorokin ultimately took Seiya Scott to a Gagarin Cup championship. He stood on his head. No one can take away the fact that Ilya Sorokin absolutely owned the 2018 Gagarin Cup, 18-19 Gagarin Cup season and the playoffs, and, and he was just absolutely outstanding. But when we go back and we look at that particular playoffs for Igor Shostyorkin, I think it's interesting to think about specifically the series between Ska and Spartak, because that's the one that everyone says, what did he do? Where did he go? Um, in game one, in game two, Ska, which was second place, uh, actually lost to Spartak, who was in seventh. One thing I will note about Spartak is that even though on paper they were ranked seventh, they are a formidable team. And most players will tell you, and I've spoken with quite a few, that it's very hard to beat Spartak at home. They have an unbelievable fan base, probably one of the best in the KHL. So game one, he gives up two goals, both on the power play. Game two, he gives up three, one on the power play. So, you know, when you really look at it, he's given up only two at even strength in both of those losses. But game three is, is the real issue. Um, he allows a goal and then he gets called for tripping on Casper's Dogovans. Dogovans goes down and fractures his ribs and ultimately Igor is suspended for a game. So it's not just a tripping call, it's a misconduct. And Magnus Helberg replaces him. Now, one thing to note about both Sorokin um, and Johansson at CSKA and Helberg and Shostorkin at SKA great goalie tandems. You can equally rely on either one. And both of these guys had a Scandinavian goalie counterpart that was older and more experienced than them. Probably a positive for their development, but also explains why they didn't play, you know, every single game of the season, given that they were both excellent goaltenders. So we get to game three, he gets, he gets suspended, he misses the next, and Magnus Helberg is played for the rest of that series. And then he's played for the entirety of the series against Lokomotiv. But when we get to Ska versus Seiska, the grand showdown of Shostyorkin versus Sorokin, Magnus loses the first game. And despite the fact that Shostyorkin has not played for a very long time, he gets the nod and gets put into net. Ska does lose, and they're up against a team, by the way, that had only dropped nine games in the regular season. That's how dominant that Moscow team was. It was the team wow. of Kaprizov, Sorokin. Or all of these guys that are now coming over to the NHL. I mean, they've lost that huge stable of talent just this season. Um, and ultimately, yes, Scott loses the series, but Shostyorkin gets the nod for the rest of that series, which shows you where the coach's trust was. In. It shows you which goalie the trust was in, number one. And number two, he forced a game seven against a team that probably shouldn't have gone to a game seven. It's a team that swept the finals against Bob Hartley, who was newly coaching in the K, but he's a Stanley Cup winning coach. Mm -hmm. So Ska forced a game seven. So yes, I think when we look at Shostyorkin's statistics, they don't tell us a particularly compelling story either way. But I do think we see something about who Ska put their faith into. And it wasn't, you know, the seasoned veteran. It was Igor Shostyorkin and with good reason, particularly when you think about his regular season stats. Does he have something to prove now in New York? Yes, he does. But I think the confidence that he showed walking into an NHL locker room is the same confidence he's going to bring to the playoffs. And I think this is a kid who tends to rise to expectations. He's done it throughout his entire career. I'm not worried about him getting the start in the playoffs. Of course, we'll wait and see what happens. But I, I do believe that his playoff numbers and his regular season numbers, when you look at them in tandem, 
even despite all of the drama of Ska's kind of last playoff run with him, it still tells a pretty compelling story about who the team thought was their franchise goaltender. And that, kids, is why you don't look at just stats or <laughs> information in a spreadsheet and make any type of decisions, and you ask hard. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is exactly the answer I was looking for. That is some, that's spectacular insight. I really appreciate that. So let's move on to uh, Vitaly Kravtsov because he had a very, very interesting journey. I think anyone who's ever seen Kravtsov play knows that, A, he has the size, he has the speed, and he's got the skill to be an NHL player. Um, Obviously, being such a young kid, um, maturity has been something that I I think – has come up, some concerns. And obviously what happened this past year, leaving, uh, he was disappointed. Personally, myself, I watched camp pretty closely and I'm surprised he didn't get the nod. But from a, from a coaching standpoint, would he have succeeded on, you know, on a fourth line or limited minutes? I don't know if that would have been good for his development because he's going to need to play at least 14, 15 minutes a game and get some special team you know, time on the power play. But with that said, he left for Hartford. Um, he left, left to the KHL. That didn't go well, and he came back. So maybe give some insights from what you, from people you've spoken to. I know you covered them. What do you think about Kraftsoff? And, and also, I think people need to understand today's younger athletes are not the same athletes from 20, 30 years ago who don't understand that it's a business, who don't understand contracts and what it means to possibly get lost in a, in a organization's, you know, prospect pool uh, and system. So with that, just give me what you can about Kratzoff. So back in the day when I first became a journalist, my first editor made me read this story. I think it was an Esquire story called Frank Sinatra has a cold And it's basically like this reporter gets sent to interview Frank Sinatra, but for whatever reason, he can't get to Sinatra. So he interviews everybody ever that like basically interacted with Sinatra, whether it's the people who worked in the hotel where he was staying, his best friends, his confidants. And he builds this amazing story about Sinatra without ever having spoken to him. And in a weird way, I feel like I've been collecting a similar scrapbook about Vitaly Kravtsov all season because I, I was called quite frequently as the drama was unfolding, you know, going to the AHL, going back to Russia, coming back, some of the headlines that came out of Russia that were translated and, and definitely caused some concern. So I decided to speak with as many people as possible who had either played alongside him, played against him, coached against him. I even spoke with Sergei Fedorov about him because he's the He's on the board of CSKA now, and he deals with a lot of player development. And I even asked his opinion on what he thought Kravtsov's best course of action would be. And the story that's been built for me over time is not the story of a arrogant, spoiled teenager who couldn't handle not making it with the big kids. That's not the story I got at all. And I think one of the most compelling perspectives was from Nick Balin, an import who clearly understands the North American expectations and style of play, but played with Vitaly Kravtsov and Chelyabins from his rookie season all the way through. And Nick Balin said that Vitaly Kravtsov, number one, spoke probably among the best English of all the Russians on that team, or at least tried. And he was constantly, constantly, constantly asking the import players for advice. Nonstop, can I do this better? What can I do better? Why are you doing it that way? 
And it's a story that Nigel Dawes also has told me, who of course is from the New York Rangers system as well. And mm-hmm. Dawes is one of the most, he is the most successful import in the history of the KHL. And he's played with Kravtsov on the all-star team. And he said to me, this is a kid who's always asking questions, always trying to figure out the next best move. And, and I don't think an arrogant teenager who thinks that he's, you know, the next best thing since Alexei Kovalev, considering that he drafted higher than him, which is probably a lot of pressure it's not how they would behave. And I think number one, there's always a question for me, how much were expectations properly communicated ahead of time? Number two, coming from an organization like Tractor, it's not the same as just Yorkin who came from St. Petersburg, which is the glittering Gagarin Cup championship winning prospect machine and Tractor, which despite its wonderful season when Vitali was rookie of the year, has gone on to languish at the bottom of the less competitive KHL conference, which is the East. Mm -hmm. So I look at this and I say to myself, this is a kid who probably was a little blindsided. He comes to New York. He does not have a bad Traverse City tournament, doesn't make the main team, and he gets sent to the AHL and it probably was a little destabilizing for his confidence. Then, of course, you layer in any questions of cultural or language barrier. He's very far from home. He's young. And he may have said to himself, I'd be more comfortable in Russia. But unfortunately, the circumstances he went back to in Russia were not better than the AHL. Now, I do think the K is competitive. And I do think, and I I believe, and as I've spoken with AHL players who have made the move, they believe it's more competitive than the AHL. But he was on charter flights. He was being announced on the starting lineup with the big boys. He wasn't playing in the secondary arena. He was playing in the main arena. He was getting the TV spots. He knew what it was like to be the top-tier professional, and I'm sure there was a part of him that was confused when he went to the AHL. Now, other players did handle it better. There's no question about that. But I think for someone who didn't come from that glittering you know, franchise like Ska or Seiska, he probably did not have expectations properly set. And this was something that Fedorov also echoed to me that he thinks may have been the problem. Um, And I think the two choices that Kravtsov had was to stay in the KHL and establish himself, which was initially why what I thought would have been the better move. Um, But now that he's here, I'm already getting sort of whispers from training camp that he's doing really well and that he's starting to show glimmers of that elite playmaker that Nick Balin once described him to me to be. He said, for a kid his age, I can't believe his decision-making. I can't believe his skill. He's got to show us that side of himself, but I hope that he feels at least psychologically in a better position to do so because I, I think I, like anyone else in the team, want to see him succeed and want to see the Rangers get the return on investment because when you think about how high he drafted and the expectations, at least of the Russian that drafted higher than him just before someone like Kovalev, you know, the stakes are high. So it's game on. I agree wholeheartedly. And he is getting a lot of praise from David Quinn uh, recently uh, showing the signs of maturity. He definitely, like, like we said, he, he has all the tools. I mean, you just it's look at his sister's him. wedding to come to camp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anyone, and I, and we definitely noted that we've reported that we try and get as much news out to the Ranger fans out there as possible. You know, how could you, how could you not think that he's not serious? I mean, he did leave his sister's <laughs> wedding within a couple of days before happening to come to camp. Uh, and there is no guarantee that he's playing and it's very unlikely he probably will play, but he is going to go to Toronto. He is going to sit with the team. He is going to be up close. He is going to practice with them. Uh, and you just, you know what? You never know. If they think they need some offense and they think he could generate it for them and it's going to be an experience, he, he could 
slot himself if there's an injury uh, on the right side of a third line. So it's always possible because Kako has looked tremendous. That rest looked like it helped him. Uh, so he can move to the top line if, say, you know, Buchnevich or somebody else gets hurt. So it's possible. And with that said, you know, looking at Kratzov and what, what we've seen, he, you're definitely projecting him to be a top six winger in the NHL, correct? I'm not projecting him to be a top six winger. I think Ooh. he has all the makings of it. But unfortunately, it's going to depend on two things in the next couple of years. And I think those are trust and playing minutes. Because whenever I talk to Russians that have flamed out in the NHL, they often say to me that those were the two things that were missing. And those could be missing for a whole host of reasons, both on the organization side and on the player side. If we see a little bit of trust put into him, he does have the creative playmaking ability of a top-tier forward. But he has to be given the room to run. And of course, he's got to earn that. But we'll have to see how it plays out. I I don't like to make predictions on young Russians like that, Mm -hmm. especially given how young he is. If he came over at 23, if he came over like Kirill Kaprizov with a Gagarin Cup and an Olympic gold medal, I would say to you, and I can say to you confidently about Kirill, yes, like you're getting exactly what you asked for. Vitaly's a bit untested. I'm excited to see what he's able to do, and I hope that we see some playing minutes. And Russians tend to perform well in packs, and since there are so many in the New York system, the more we see him sitting alongside the likes of Artemi Panarin, the better off we're going to be. So I do believe that he has it in him, but it's going to depend on the trust in playing minutes that come through over the next course of the couple seasons. I agree. And honestly, uh, just I've been a Rangers fan for a while. Uh, the Rangers haven't had, I, I don't, I think the Rangers now may have more, but the Rangers haven't had this many good Russians since they won a championship mm. in 94. They had Kovalev, they had Sergei Zubov, they had the highly underrated Sergei Nemchinov, who I thought oh, was unbelievable. an incredible player besides being a gentleman that you could just you could see he had grace on the ice uh you know he he was just that good of a player and underappreciated uh and you know alexander karpatsev he was another one that was on that team and i'm just looking at this team of of you know russian rangers and obviously you have panarin you have buchnevich you have Shisterkin. you have um you know kratsov waiting in the wings here uh and i'm just like Wow, there, there's there's a lot brewing here, uh, and hey, Kreider speaks a little Russian too. So <laughs> I usually he, count him in the Russian Ranger. <laughs> yeah, he, he gets he gets an honorary mention, right? Uh, it, the, I'm just like you know, this has got to be for somebody who who covers Russian hockey players. This has got to be pretty cool for you as well. And I know that you've mentioned in the past, you know, being a fan of the Red Wings and talk about an incredible team with some great Russian players. Uh, on it. I mean, Fedorov is, to me, one of the greatest hockey players to have ever taken the ice. Uh, what are your thoughts about this, this group of Russians and the Rangers? And do you think they can bring home a championship, you know, in the next year or two? I'm so excited about them. I mean, like I said before, and, and it's so true of the Red Wings of that late 90s, when you see Russians playing in packs together, it creates Uh, a camaraderie and a sense of comfort that I think, unfortunately, isolated Russians in NHL locker rooms don't benefit from. It's something, it's a a very insular culture in a lot of ways. There is a a very difficult language barrier, but more and more you're seeing guys coming over with a bit of English, which I think really makes all the difference in the world in terms of developing chemistry and understanding expectations. But when you see them grouped together like this, when you see guys that 
mostly even all originated or played at some point in the same club. Ska St. Petersburg is a major feeder of talent to the New York Rangers right now, and that's a, an excellent club that is very, very proud of its prospect development. Some Russian teams um, kind of punish their young kids with North American intentions, but Ska is the exact opposite. They really manage and, and develop these players well. When you see these guys coming over together, they can rely on one another. Their families tend to be intertwined. I mean, even just look now at Panarin and Kovalev flying together and his wife, Elisa Znarek, you know, coming to Kovalev's house and talking to the family. I mean, you see that these Russians all kind of group together. So when you see them together in the locker room, they come from a similar hockey background. They can provide that comfort for one another. And then I think for whatever reason, they integrate better into the full team that way. And plus you have Kreider, who's now bridging the gap, which is just hysterical. And Sergei Nemchinov's daughter, Lisa, is the translator for guys like Shostyorkin. So you even have Rangers royalty, Russian royalty supporting these guys. So it really couldn't be better. I am dying to see a repeat of like a Russian hoisted cup from 94. I would love to see it. Um, but I, I'm very excited about this group. They're young, they're eager. They've already endeared themselves to the fans. And I think that's a big deal because they're crossing a cultural barrier to endear themselves to the fans. I mean, I've never seen anyone defend a young goalie like they defended Czar Igor on his debut. I just happened to be at that game. And I mean, he let in two goals against the Avs early, but that crowd was behind him 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And this segues a little bit to our last question before we start to wrap up. Uh, but you did an, a spectacular interview with Kovalev, uh, which I, I covered a little tidbit of it because there was a little talk of 94, a little talk of Mike Keenan, who also has some KHL history. Um, but I, I have to get inside the room now and the conversation and, and going back and forth because obviously it was, a, it was on your website, right? It was on the, uh, the caviardiplomat.com uh, where you spoke with Kovalev and did the interview and you asked him about Keenan, and he mentioned a couple of things, but he did say that Keenan, who was notorious for treating a lot of players like crap, didn't matter who you were, except for maybe Mark Messier. I think maybe that's the one person he didn't say a word to. Uh, but he treated Leach like crap at times, Richter like crap. We had, what he did to Mike Gartner was probably horrendous, um, <laughs> you know, the way he treated him. And that talk about it, talk about one of the nicest players to ever play the game. But he did tell them, he, he brought the Russians into his room and said, you guys don't care about the cup and blah, blah, blah. How... Give me a little bit of insight. What did Kovalev say? Was he laughing? Was he like, what is, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> well, Kovalev cracks me up because he's got a little bit of an ego on him, Alexi. And so he's telling me this story and he's like, and there are guys next to me who are Olympic champions and Russian champions. And he's saying, we don't know how to win. So we just listened to me, ignored him and we left. Like for someone like him, a Mike Keenan is perfect. Like Kovalev was, was ruled with an iron fist by Mike Keenan. I mean, the seven minute shift, perfect indication but Kovalev even admits Keenan knew how to get to him. Keenan knew that if he benched Kovi, it was the one thing that broke Kovi more than anything else in the world because all Alexei Kovalev wants to do, even now at the age of 47, is play hockey. He lives to play three-on-three three after practice. He's like strong-arming these guys, not wearing any equipment whatsoever. He almost got out on the ice for Kunlun Red Star about two years ago when they were zonked with injuries and he was an assistant coach. They were thinking about lacing him up. He would have died for it. He got out on the ice when he was the sporting director of the Swiss team and they had an injury to one of their imports. Like Alexei Kovalev wants to play and Keenan got that about him. And, and Kovalev spoke very respectfully of Keenan initially. Like he tells that story and he's annoyed. And, and frankly, that narrative was also presented to the Russians of the Detroit Red Wings 
in the late 90s. And you can't tell me anyone wanted a Stanley Cup more than Slava Fetisov. I mean, that guy fought the Soviet machine and won. He comes over. He watches New Jersey win the season after he leaves. That guy wanted a Stanley Cup more than I think anyone ever did in history. I mean, he was just absolutely adamant. And the Russians do understand what it means to win. They were put through their paces by the Soviet Red Army camp, for example. So, you know, that, that I hate that insinuation, but I think we've gotten over that over time. And, you know, Russians watch the NHL. They can stream it for free on Yandex, which is kind of like the equivalent of Google over there. They, they know what a Stanley Cup is, and they sure as hell want to win it. I, I agree. And I, if anyone even remotely brings up that nonsense again uh, in you know 2020 after watching the, I don't know, what is it, a five-day bender that Alex Ovechkin went on after oh winning God. the cup? That was honestly- How is he still alive? <laughs> I, no one is ever going to top that. I'm sorry. I'm a huge Ovechkin fan. I love Ovechkin. As you a, know, I saw him bring the Stanley Cup to Moscow. I was like in a restaurant and he just walked through the front door carrying it like it was no big deal. I was just sitting there not expecting to see him it was during the world cup i was doing a soccer interview and i was like holy crap that's awesome alexander ovechkin that is so awesome all right so let's talk about you a little bit before we wrap up okay obviously i I like to try and do my research i want to get the best out of uh, every Uh interview i do (laughs) um so obviously googled try to learn a little bit more about you and i found this interesting photo of you and i'm like that's her oh god Oh, she, what, she's, ooh, she's got a, she's got a bow and arrow in her hands. Now, mind you, I've, I, archery is, is difficult. And obviously I think you, you can talk about it in a bit, but my few experiences, right? My son and I were just trying to, you know, let's, let's bond a little bit. What, what can we do? He's not into really sports. It was like, Hey, you know, we like superheroes to show arrows pop. He was like, why don't we go shoot some bow and arrows? So we went to a range. Now, mind you, I'm looking at the shop. Some of these bows cost thousands. You can get a used car cheaper. Some of them are so <laughs> beyond expensive. But anyway, so we get we get there and I'm and I'm digging, you know, I'll give you the crash course lesson. And I'm and I'm hitting it, you know, I'm hitting the target, not the bullseye, from like five feet away. I'm like, can we go to 10 or something? Like it moved me to 10. I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, oh, all right. He's he's doing okay too. Now this group of, I would say, four or five 13-year-old girls come in, and they've got these bows. Now, obviously, they got high school shirts on or middle school shirts. I don't even know what they – all I know is this girl starts to, like, hit the target down down range 50 feet, and she's hitting bullseyes one by one. And I look at my son and said, this is a wrap. We got to go. <laughs> I, I was Were so you in New York by any chance? I am. I'm on Long Island. Okay. Where do you know which archery? It was like uh, C and B archery or something like that in Hicks. Okay. okay. And it was, and I was just again, it was it was a it's a nice place to go and just go shoot. But you know, it was not like a state of the art facility, but obviously it was a great place for people to practice and there, again, there was groups that like, hey, we're doing this for fun. And then there was like four or five where it was, this is people who practice for competition. And they had thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And <laughs> I was so impressed. So I'm just looking at you going, she's, she's, got, the, she's got the expensive stuff. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> Tell me about, you know, your archery and the competitions or anything that, about that. Oh my God. So I haven't thought about this in so long. It's so funny. I was a a competitive archer. I actually shot for Columbia University. That's where I went to undergrad. And we were the 2011 national champions. I just have to point it out. 
Um, and we, it's so funny. Like it's a sport that nobody really gets into unless you're in the Midwest and you have a lot of ground. So the fact that I grew up in New Jersey and got into it, um, I never had the hunting aspect of it, but I had teammates who had shot like coyotes in North Dakota and turkeys for Thanksgiving. And I was like, I have no, how did I get involved in this? But anyway, we all shot together, you know, starting, I guess, God, when we were 18 years old and I had been shooting for years before that, but it was just this kind of funny sport that I fell into after watching it in the Olympics and just thinking that looked cool. And I happened to have an archery range, not too far, an indoor one, but yeah, I traveled a lot around the U.S. when I was in college shooting. Like we, we had fun, and it was—it's a sport that I find as I get older, and the more I dive into hockey, and the more that I, I study goaltenders because they're my my favorite position in hockey. The more I see the crossovers of the lessons. Like I, I interviewed a bunch of goalies during quarantine. It was called my least favorite goal, and I had a bunch of goalies, including Mike Richter, um, narrate some goals that they absolutely hated that they let in and why. Was it Ron Francis's mo- goal? It was. It was. <laughs> it's everyone. It's every Ranger fan's most hated favorite. goal. Too. <laughs> I know. I know. I said to him at the time, I'm like, oh, I don't know if you're going to want to bring this up for the New York Collective to remind themselves of. But there's just so many things about being a goalie and being an archer and the level of visualization that's required, letting go of each shot and, and just kind of giving up control to get control in a sense, because the more in the moment you are, and the less you're trying to chase the puck versus let it come to you, the more you're trying to let the shot go at the right time, the better off you are. So in a funny way, archery's informed a lot of the ways that I think about the world. But I, I had hurt my shoulder in 2011. I was a senior in college. It was right around the time that we were shooting our last few tournaments before the national championship. So once that season was done, I like threw my bow down and didn't pick it up almost ever again, except like once or twice in Brooklyn with friends on a weekend. But I just never touched it again because I was so sick of it. By the time we were done, my shoulder was killing me. Like I can still tell you when it's going to rain. In fact, it's raining here now and I can absolutely feel it. So it's just one of those things that I did for fun as a kid. And like, it's just such a weird, I guess, trivia fact. It's like one of those things you pull out at a party, I guess, but good sport. I highly recommend it. It's very, very cool. Honestly, I know that you've been on a ton of podcasts and everyone keeps asking you the same questions like, Oh, do you speak Russian? Oh, (laughs) and I'm like, going, you know, I like all great questions, but I'm not going to do it. Like I said, go listen to the up in the blue seas podcast with Ron Duguay and it's tremendous and gets into it as well. But I was like, it's gotta be something cool that we could bring out. (laughs) And that was it. That was totally it. Well, thank you. Actually, I think I know what picture you, you found because I remember the photographer stood in front of us while we were at full draw and I was like, you are the bravest man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> it only takes crazy. one person to like quiver and it's going to be <laughs> out and you are going to be shot through the head. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I just, you know, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, you know, you're, you're becoming the great Rangers Russian insider. Everyone's going to you. So I think that's fantastic. You do provide some amazing insights. Uh, you also are probably are a superhero at night running around with a bow and arrow. So who the hell knows? Uh, but I, I really thank you. Is there anything you want to you wanna let fans know about your work? Anything you want to plug? Uh, I would just say, if you don't follow me on Twitter, follow me. I'm at Jillian Kemmerer, and my blog is called The Caviar Diplomat, and I post and riff on a lot of random Russian-Soviet hockey history things, but I'm, I'm always personally pleasantly surprised by how much they still matter in present day, so maybe uh, you'll find the same too, but take care of those Russian Rangers, okay? Because I'm going to be back in Russia soon, and so New York's got to hold them down. 
You got it. You got it. Thank you so much for doing this. And that's a wrap on the latest episode of the Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast. Thank you, Jillian, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening.